The following message is from the 2016 IBCD Women's Pre-Conference, Longings. Okay, well, while we're finding our places, I'll introduce myself, Caroline Neuheiser. I um, work at IBCD and have met with many women, counseling them in the community, plus some in our church. And I would like to open us in prayer. Dear Lord, we are so thankful for time to spend just thinking of you and your word. Thank you for the example of the gospel, which we heard clearly from our previous two speakers. And we thank you for Elise and all that she's done to help us understand identity. And we also thank you for Martha, who has written so many books, which answer a lot of questions we may have had and help us to understand more clearly your will for us. And we do pray for our time now as we think about relationships, that you would help us most of all to see what your word has to say and how we can love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. That's our goal. To hear what God's word had to, to say. Aren't you glad that the word of God is not just do this, do this, do this. It also guides our relationships because even though it was written so many years ago, it's for all time. Right? Even as we look at this, during this next hour, we'll see so many relationships in the scriptures which reflect day-to-day problems. So we will talk about the word of God, how it applies to our problems with relationships. Now, relationships are wonderful, tremendous blessing, but these desires can become disordered desires, which is the theme of our conference starting tonight. I have heard women give these following phrases as well as myself, have said these following things about our unmet expectations. Like, I have expectations that aren't being fulfilled. Like, my children should come here for Christmas. Okay? I wish my grandchildren lived closer to me. My mother shouldn't be so controlling. My brother should be grateful that I'm comfortable and not feel like he has to compete with me about the stuff he has. My friends shouldn't embarrass me in front of others. My sister is saying all kinds of untrue things about me. My dad, he should be an encouragement instead of criticizing me. My teenager should dress modestly. We know about that now. I never thought I would be lonely at this stage in life. Expectations that we've had that have been unmet or more serious things like my boyfriend should marry me now that we've had sex. He said he would. Or my daughter-in-law is keeping my grandchildren away from me. Or 
my husband should invest all his sexual energy in our marriage and not elsewhere. Or my daughter should follow the Lord and not reject our family's values. Serious problems. We all crave good relationships. Some of us have made our relationships more important to us functionally than our relationship with God. This is what I want to point out. Because we're looking at where our treasure is, there our heart would be also. So these unmet expectations and how we handle them reflect our heart, don't they? We know that. We're good biblical counselors. So the world takes care of relationship problems in some of the wrong ways, like self-imposed pain relief. And those, that could be anything from, I need to take pills before I go to see my in-laws, because you know how they are. <laughs> I have to get my anti-anxiety pills. Or, you know, I really feel more comfortable in a social situation if I have a drink in my hand. Or, I am upset with my husband, I'm just going to stay home and drink. Or... You know, when I get a little buzzed, things just go so much better. So some people do that. Some take their pain over relationships and move into such deep pain that they're inflicting pain on themselves. Like a girl I met named Jackie, not her real name. She had uh, problems with her boyfriend, very deep, horrible, painful problem with her boyfriend to where she ended up cutting as a pain release. That was just, it became, became a habit for her. Others lash out in anger at whoever's criticizing you. It's your mom or your dad or your brother or sister who gossips. Some just develop a judgmental attitude and start attacking before they get attacked. Others blame other people. We heard something about that this morning, like our excuses for getting angry. I am so mad at you, but I had the worst day. It's like an excuse. We're wrecking our relationships when we do things like that. And this is, let's just say, these are sins, okay? I really think instead of saying I've got a personality that just lashes out at people, let's call it sin. The beautiful thing about calling that a sin is we have a savior, right? And sometimes when you're sitting with somebody in the counseling office or in your girlfriend at church and she's coming to you with these problems and she's saying this is just the way I am, she's lost hope without putting a name on it, of sin, and then, okay, God has the answer for that. And some of us have been sinned against, okay? And let's just call that sin instead of, well, that's just how my dad is. He's just like that. Well, if we say your dad has truly sinned against you, now what do you do with that? Now we've put it in a spiritual realm And there's hope. And all of us who've been in biblical counseling know the hope in that case 
is to be like Christ, okay, who was sinned against. And we're going to talk about that further. But first of all, let's look at our family relationships. Now, how many of us go to family reunions? Some of us go on family vacations altogether. Okay, I just got back from family vacation. (laughs) And that's when you see families interacting with each other and sometimes sinning against one another. And we see a manifestation of the deeds of the flesh. I've picked a few to think about, and I'll just categorize them as saying these are just families made up of sinners. People who are jealous and envious, let's say. My stuff is better than yours. It happens in families, okay? Or you don't deserve such nice stuff. We're stuff-oriented. And do you know where that is in the Bible? It's all over the place. I picked out Rachel, who is so envious of her sister Leah. Do you remember? Rachel and her sister kept having kids. And we see this terrible dynamic of this family ruined by jealousy and envy. We see it with Joseph's brothers. Weren't they motivated by jealousy when they attacked him? The prodigal son had an older brother. He was like the description of jealousy in the New Testament. And we see people in our families who are controlling. You're not living your life right. You need to do what I say. You're not going to be happy. So Paris thought we are like that, but people do that to us. People are gossips. And you've all seen gossip spread through a family right? Putting people down in a negative way, negative speaking about others. And there's an example in the Bible, Genesis 9. Ham saw his his father drunk, and he went out and told the other brothers. Like, he didn't solve the problem. He just talked about it. There are competitive, prideful people There are people who are angry at other things, and it spills over onto us. That traffic was so terrible today. I just hate my job. I hate my life. I hate being in this family. Okay? Some people are super sensitive, touchy, and we get easily hurt. And these can be families that are even Christians. We all struggle with these things. And I'm going to read Galatians 5, 17. Because it talks about the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. It's reality, girls. (laughs) We all know it. So Galatians 5, 17 says... In 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, and this phrase is prescient, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So even if we have good intentions, we find ourselves walking 
in sin. We ourselves are full of envy and jealousy, but everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Okay? We're not allowed. We can react when people don't pay attention to us. We can have misunderstandings in our families, disagreements, competitiveness, oversensitivity. And I'm not just talking about brothers, sisters, mom and dad. I'm talking about husbands for those of us who are married. We bring all these sins into our families. And as this book that I read called Running on Empty, the Gospel for Women in Ministry, she says, Barbara Bancroft says, the fruits and gifts of the Spirit will not flourish in a heart filled with resentment and bitterness. There is no more fertile ground for resentment and bitterness to grow than when I judge God's care by my expectation of fair treatment. Did you hear that? God cares for me. If I'm judging that by what other people are doing to me, then we're going to be filled with resentment and bitterness. All right. So the phrase I want you girls to remember is this. I love my family, but their opinions and actions do not rule me. How's that? We heard Elise talk about that earlier, didn't we? We can say that. We have to have God's grace to live it. But let's talk about friends for a little bit first. Our friends sin against us as well. Some people say, well, you know... You can, can't choose your family. You can choose your friends, though. But even those people will disappoint. In Psalm 55, we read of David's pain at his friends who deserted him. He says in verse 13 of Psalm 55, But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. These are people you've worshipped with. It says, evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. And in verse 20, he says, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. We've all been disappointed by friends, have we not? Okay. It's a factor of having sin. Sin breaks relationships. It jeopardizes our relationships in church as well. I mean, why was Romans 14 written? Romans 14 how to be patient with one another, all your different beliefs and understandings. It was addressed in Third John. He says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. 
So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, taking, talking wicked nonsense against us. And you know those two ladies who are famous for not getting along in the church? Yodia and Syntyche. In the body of Christ, not being able to fellowship one another with one another. And some of us maybe get hardened and we find it hard even to make friends. I want to read to you something which Betty Adams said in this book, Letters to Pastors' Wives. And this is Jay Adams' wife, okay, the founder of our movement. His, Betty Adams says, There were times when I sought friendship, but there was no response. During those times, the Lord was my portion. And yet he provided the friends I wanted in his time. So if we take friendships and we say, this is what makes me excited when I come to church to see my friends. This is why I love to go to the baby shower because I get to talk to my friends. Eventually you're going to find you'll be disappointed. How can we stay firm? How can we stay solid and not descend into despair or coldness or withdrawal? Only by what Betty Adams says the Lord is her portion as well as ours. We're going to develop that further. But I want to just recognize that it can be very hard when friendships fall away. And again, Betty says, as an aside, I want you to refrain from being distressed when those whom you consider to be your friends part ways with you. Perhaps you needed to be friends only for a brief time. Perhaps there is embarrassment, a difficult issue, or a disagreement that can't be resolved. Such difficulties can often lead to the severing of a friendship. Some friends are like butterflies, hovering over and around and flitting off to the next person. Be thankful that you could meet a need for a time. Keep your door and your heart open. Giving thanks for those special times when you enjoyed those particular friendships. What a balanced thought. This keeps us close to the Lord, not depending on other people, okay? That's my main point. Be close to the Lord, and that will help balance all the rest of these longings that we have. We even see in friendships breaking up in the Bible, Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways for a while. And uh, in Second Timothy, Paul says, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. So was Paul really depressed about that? He says, May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. We can go into church, we can go into our families with this open, loving attitude based on our relationship with Christ. So, friends who really are out of balance will create disappointment, unhappiness, and some of us are in these kinds of relationships. Either we are like this, or people are like this towards us, whereas I told somebody, you feel like there's 
sucking the life out of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? And sometimes a counselor really gets those people who are like constantly, and they're just like pulling everything they can from you. And that will, you will get worn out. At lunch we talked about that. Getting worn out by people just drawing all their strength and sources from you. And it becomes way too intense. And I want to take a a minute right now and say something about same-sex attraction and lesbianism because I have a pretty good idea that some of these lesbian relationships develop that way, okay? Developed by these intense, strong feelings, not based on who they are in Christ, but drawing strength from one another. And besides that, the whole gay community has their own, um, they have their own friends. They have their, haven't you seen that? Why were they all in that nightclub together? Because that's where they all felt comfortable, right? But the church, we should be supplying the kind of friendship that's not the counterfeit, but it's the real thing. And it's a reflection, again, of what our relationship is like with God. It's balanced. It's strong. So if we see a girl struggling with same-sex attraction, I just want to tell you that she's not having a problem with other attractions so much as her relationship with God. She's taking that intense longing that God creates in us and substitutes someone else for that. Okay, and we see that also in these um, young people who go after boyfriends. Oh, you know, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be so happy if I just have a boyfriend, or if I just get married, or if my marriage was better. And somebody may say, okay, Caroline, that's easy for you to say. Okay, you don't even understand my life. But let me tell you, you're not married for 36 years or more without going through this very advice I'm going to give you right now. And the first concept we need to understand is we are made to worship God. Okay? God created us to worship him. So when we take another person and put that person in the place of God... You are mixing up the most beautiful thing that God has planned for us, and that is to worship him. Deuteronomy 10 tells us what our life is to be. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? And to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. So I don't care if you had the most wonderful husband. Well, actually, I'm really glad if you had the most wonderful husband. But he will not be your all in all. And I don't care if your boyfriend is the most attentive, kind person. He cannot be your all in all. Nor your girlfriend. 
nor your mom or your sister, okay? Do you see all these beautiful relationships God has created are just reflections of God's relationship with us. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So our goal is to value God and relationship with him above all others. And those of us who have struggles with that should memorize 1 Thessalonians 2, 4, just the little end of that, says, we are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. So the mom who comes in and says to me, my life is a mess, my family is a mess, we can, sit, we can be so sympathetic and kind, understanding, and then gently we'll say, your family is not as important as your own relationship with God. And you can take that woman with her disappointments in life and grief, actual grief, and say you know what, come over here and understand who you are. Know your identity. And you can just let it flow off. You can just let those mean words just not stick. Just, they don't stick. They flow off of you because of who you are in Christ. I want to tell you that when we have sin... Though we are walking in darkness, as we saw in Galatians. And these sins that we do have against our brother or sister or friends or husband are going to keep us from the Lord. Whoever says he is in the light, we read in 1 John 2, 9, and hates his brother. If you say you're in the light and you hate your brother, or you just can't stand being with your sister-in-law, He says, you are still in darkness, but whoever hates his brothers in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So you go to that family reunion and you're all stirred up ahead of time. You feel sick to your stomach when you're there. It ruins the rest of your week. You are letting family control. So you can say this to yourself. I love my family, but their opinions and actions do not rule me. I love my friends, but their opinions and actions do not rule me. And that's where we see the freedom, the freedom we've heard about. I could take a lady and show you a before and after And it's so true. It's real. That is so freeing. So let's think carefully. How much are we influenced by others instead of the Lord? If we as believers are walking in being influenced by others, whether it's the world around us and what they're wearing or how people are acting towards us can wreck our day... (coughs) then we are, we've really shot our testimony. 
Do you see that? That's how serious it is. And I will read to you another quote from Barbara Bancroft. She says, when our identities are tied to the opinions of others, we communicate the gospel less effectively. Our talk of good news should be reflected in its impact on our identities. A woman, as women who are confident about God's love and his perfecting work, we reflect the true nature of redemption and attract others to this gospel of freedom. So, God is the one who meets our needs. All right? Ultimately, it's not whether we got a compliment on what we're wearing, that somebody likes our haircut, but it's what God thinks. And I, I just want to tell a singles, I know we've got singles here, I want to tell you guys something. And that is that marriage is not what the single needs either. Okay? Some of us may have been single for quite a long time. Some are looking ahead and we're saying, that's the next step in life. But marriage is not what you all need, ultimately. And here is what Tim Keller says about that. This high view of marriage tells us that marriage, therefore, is penultimate. And I have to thank Josh Henson for telling me what penultimate means. (laughs) That means second to the top. Marriage is penultimate, not the highest. Even the best marriage cannot by itself fill the void in our souls left by God. If single Christians don't develop a deeply fulfilling love relationship with Jesus, they will put too much pressure on their dream of marriage. And that same idolatry of marriage that is distorting their single lives will eventually distort their married lives if they find a partner. So there's no reason to wait. Demote marriage and family in your heart. Put God first and begin to enjoy the goodness of single life. Okay, sisters. We can do that. And we have uh, a quote here about people this lady who wrote an article she was quoted in an article by World Magazine from June 11th this year this article I don't know if y'all read it but it's about divorce she was in a good marriage but at the end of the article we read Lisa confided with a friend from their congregation who told her this Marriage is not between you and Zeke. It's between you and God. That change in perspective was a turning point and the beginning of their faith walk as a married couple. The verse from Proverbs emphasized at their wedding, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lead not on your own understanding. That verse came alive. Lisa said, I realized... I had my eyes on Zeke and not Christ. People run dry. People run dry. A poor husband trying to be all in all to this wife 
is bound for failure, okay? So let's not do that to our husbands. When he disappoints us, when he doesn't notice our new haircut, when he doesn't compliment us, okay? He's just a regular person. That's him. My fulfillment, my, my satisfaction with myself is from you, Lord. You are my all in all. And that is the only relationship that is truly satisfying, okay? Can I just tell you that you believe me? I could. I could also quote to you Isaiah 55. <laughs> this is our go-to verse. How much better to read it in the Word. Starting in verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for what? That which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Everything else is not going to satisfy. He has made us for himself. And do you remember I told you about this girl named Jackie who just couldn't cope with her boyfriend problems? <laughs> she recently told me that she was caught smiling at work. Used to be, hey, I'm really happy today because my boyfriend says he loves me and everything's good with the world. But after this relationship problem, I told you how much in despair she was. But now she's been caught smiling at work and somebody goes Jackie why are you smiling so much and she says oh I'm just thinking about stuff but she told me she's thinking about her relationship with Jesus she is so happy knowing who she is in Christ that she's like the most fulfilled happy person at the, on the job it's beautiful So we are blessed. Let's take a look at who this is who loves us. We've already heard Elise tell us wonderful things about Christ, what he has done. I wanted to talk to you about his nature as a shepherd. Don't we love Psalm 23? Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I shall not be lacking. He is my shepherd. And you know John read all that because in John 10 he says, or Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So here's Jesus taking that metaphor from the Old Testament and saying, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am a good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. That intimate relationship. It's a, like marriage, right? We heard about already. It's that desire, that love that our Savior has for us. It's bigger than any other kind of love. 
Even if Jackie ends up getting married, this relationship is going to be above, her relationship with God will be above any fulfilling relationship she'll find on earth. And Peter also knows this metaphor. He says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Not only is he a shepherd, he's like our brother. He's our older brother, right? For those of you who have really great brothers, he's like the best brother. He is the one who came before. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And the cravings that we have for the Lord are truly satisfied in him. Don't you love how the Bible talks about food? Food cravings. That's what I just read to you. Come anyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and eat wine and milk. Those are like the ultimate things then. Okay, but we can make it our own stuff, right? Just, oh, that's like the best. He is the best. He satisfies my longings like a deer panting for flowing streams. So my soul pants for you, oh my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 42. Psalm 107, 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Isaiah 58. 11, and the Lord will guide you, guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you should be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So the broken, sorrowful woman who has these damaged family relationships or broken friendships of people who just always disappoint her. This is where you go. Okay? You bring her to the word of God. It says, your longings will never be satisfied there anyway. I do care, and I'm so sorry it's so hard, but let's look above all that. Let's look to the ultimate craving that is for the Lord. And as we read Jeremiah 17, this you all have to have down. This is where you take your friend. In verse 5, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who thinks I can be happy when my husband is nice to me, and I'm unhappy when he's not nice, which... Okay, that's reality. But let me just say, we can live in joy despite our circumstances because I love my family, but they do not control with their words or with their actions my soul. Okay, sorry, Jeremiah 17. Cursed is the man who's just trusting a man who makes the flesh his strength, And here's the descriptive phrase, whose heart turns away from the Lord. People are going to disappoint you, people. They are. Your pastor 
will forget to say good morning to you, will not notice you when you walk into church. You won't get a compliment for the amazing Sunday school lesson you taught, perhaps. But those people are like a, a shrub in the desert. If we, just, if we live for that, we're going to be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a, do you know, tree, yes, planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Or my sister calls to brag about how great her kids are doing. Okay, that's heat. Or when my, someone at work gets an undeserved promotion. Okay? I can be like a tree planted by water, sending its roots by the stream, and does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, which will come. For it does not cease to bear fruit. So if we're looking at relationships, we're saying, okay, Caroline, this is all well and good. I just can't even picture because, you know, my family, it's so dysfunctional. I don't even know what is right. What is a good relationship? We look at the Bible and we look at Jesus Christ himself. He has the healthiest relationship of all. He was giving to his people. Do you know that? Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Greater love has no one than this. And someone lays down his life for his friends. John fifteen thirteen. We can do that. We can do that. We can always be kind. Jesus himself gave his life for us. We can do that. Jesus prayed for all those around him. John 17, the whole chapter, praying for his people. He focused on all the needy people around him, didn't he? The little like we sometimes get really tired out with the little kids running around and always being so demanding. And then you get a teenager and then that person's really demanding. And that can string us out. But Jesus is our example. He washed the disciples' feet. Mark ten forty five could be a memory verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Not only is Jesus our example, he understands. He knows what it's like. Think about it. Dysfunctional family. He had to grow up more than likely with no dad. A mom with a tarnished reputation. Brothers and sisters who tried to grab him and say, come on, come back home. Quit doing all that. 
His friends deserted him, did they not? In his greatest hour of need, they were sleeping. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Is that a real thing? Is it true? We can tell the hurting, grieving woman, Jesus carried our griefs and bore our sorrows. He is always with us. You may feel deserted. You may feel like you went to church and nobody spoke to you. Nobody cares if you live or die. Well, Hebrews 13, 5, the end says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the next verse gives us courage. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And I could bring before you some saints, some women, and you'll say, how did you ever survive such terrible grief, such disappointment? A pastor's wife who the, the whole church turned against them. How could you survive that and still have faith in humanity? Well, she'll probably tell you it's because the Lord is my helper. I'm doing all this for him. Not for what people recognize or think of me. That is a victorious woman. So, you may say, all right, Caroline, that's fine, but I've got some really big problems. Maybe my husband is looking at pornography and I've caught him and I can't change him and it's ruining my life. Well, the Bible gives you steps to lovingly confront. You'll start with Matthew 7, 1 through 5 and read that passage which talks about getting rid of your own sin first as if it's a great big log before you start going around changing somebody else. You see the passage in Matthew 18, which says you go talk to that person individually, then you bring along someone to help you. You've got the church as a resource there. You have Galatians 6.1. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And you may want to go and ask advice of someone. Maybe you've already spoken to your husband and say, all right, this is a major problem in my family. I need advice. I'm not gossiping, but I just need some advice. And you talk to someone wise, and the counselor could tell you and walk you through these steps and hold your hand. But does it have to wreck your life? Does It does not have to wreck your life. Because I'm doing all things to serve the Lord. I'm going to get help, but I'm not a broken down mess because I have the Lord's strength. And remember the gospel. Okay, can we remember who we are in Christ anyway? We are a chosen people. We read in 1 Peter 2. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. There you go. Maybe the husband doesn't really show you the love 
which you desire. But you are God's special treasure. And why? Well, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Okay? Do you need to live in this dark place? No, you've been called into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And thus, the love of Christ controls us. How's that? 2 Corinthians 5, 14. The love of Christ controls us. Am I controlled by my family and friends? No. I love them. But they're not controlling me. And now we can apply the gospel. We can forgive. Barbara Bancroft says, We forgive not to free ourselves from those who have harmed us, although forgiveness has this effect, but to be a conduit, you know, like a pipeline of God's forgiveness in this world. We forgive to be like our Father, who also forgives his enemies. Forgiving is a way to resist Satan. It is our way to say no to what is evil and yes to what is good. And your memory verse, if you're living in this, relation, this situation where I'm having trouble forgiving because somebody has truly sinned against me, we'll say Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, like P.S., <laughs> no malice. <laughs> be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving. Giving one another as, do you know the rest? God and Christ has forgiven you. We can live there. We are major sinners who've been forgiven. Can we apply that to others? He says yes. Actually, compels us. This is a command. Be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Because we have been forgiven. Thank you, Lord. And we can sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed himself. 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And we ought also to lay down our lives for the brothers. And show true love. Real love. Because of what he has done for us. The only way you can do this, girls, is not just by gutting it out. Okay, I went to this conference, and now I know how to handle relationships. I've just got to do better next time. No. <laughs> now, you might try that, but it's not going to last. We need to stay near our Savior, don't we? That's where the strength and power comes from. So, any of you who sat in my counseling office knows I love this verse. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. But NIV says, 
fixing your eyes on Jesus. Like that, he is my goal. Jesus is my goal, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's the one who gave me faith anyway. I need to keep my eyes on him. And all these other things are going to fade away. You know that hymn, don't you? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And if we walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, over Memorial Day, I ran in a half marathon, which was really jogging and walking for three long hours. (laughs) Thankfully, with a friend who said, my friend Cheryl says, we don't know what the future will hold in our relationships. And she's so right. If we live in despair in the moment, we, we're leaving out what God could do, aren't we? We don't know. The Lord is our rock. He is not going to be changed. We need to just submit to him and love him because we are great sinners who've been saved, okay? And we can show grace. And here's something Cheryl also told me while we were out there for three long hours. Some of you can do a half marathon in two hours, but not me. So she also said, you know that movie, Cinderella, the new one? Like the one with the girl with the blue dress? Remember that? Have you all seen it? Okay. Cinderella, who was so mistreated. I mean, it makes you cry. The things that her sister's stepsisters and stepmother did to her. And at the end of the movie, the prince says to Cinderella, how could you endure all of that mistreatment? And her answer was, they treated me as well as they knew how. Okay? That's what you say about people who are disappointing you, hurting you. Say, well, that's all that they knew to do. Isn't that showing grace? So we have power because the Holy Spirit abides and lives in us. Like I said, we're not gutting it out because he has given us his spirit. And that love comes out, as First John writes, as John writes in First John 4, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. God and God abides in him. Ah, now you've become a saint. Now you're living in sainthood. Up the outside world will say, how could a girl live with an alcoholic mother and a father who beat her and come out smiling and joyful? It's because she's living in the Lord. Have anybody, has anybody read Glenda's story? Her story? That's her story. So we have to realize also, God is in charge of all things. God wins. God wins. Okay? This is not the end. No matter how difficult things are, God wins. Joseph, who went through years and years of suffering unjustly, said towards the end of his life when his brothers came and they were all like, oh no, we're so sorry. And besides, dad told you you have to forgive us. And he says, 
Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So the end of the story, God's in it. God's in charge. If you are still having trouble with your relationships in spite of all this great advice, then I'll ask you to just pray. Pray for help. Pray for endurance. And we know that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 1 John five fourteen. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked in him. And the request would be, Lord, let me abide in you with all these sad, disappointing relationships. I just want to love you through it, Lord. If we do see sin in our own hearts, we confess. Whenever we recognize it, we confess. Okay, maybe I provoked my brother when he's bragging about his stuff because I started bragging about my stuff and then he reacted. Okay, confess that and know that God covers our sin. His, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen, And those of us who are understanding the work of Jesus on the cross for our salvation need to come to grips with the work of Jesus on the cross for our day-to-day sanctification. Okay? So every time that sin comes up, oh, Jesus died for that. Jesus died for that. Thank you, Lord. And he is my advocate. Thank you, Lord. So we can have true, real love for others. And you know what? You'll be surprised, but you'll notice you will feel fewer and fewer pains. Things could just, just flow off of you. Those mean comments, those hurts, the slander, all of that can just roll off of you as we abide in Christ. He is our true source. He is our true love and our true happiness. And to conclude, I want to read you this benediction from Romans 15, verse 4. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Copyright 2016 IBCD All Rights Reserved More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org dot o-r-g